0: The following message is from the 2017 IBCD Institute, Addictions, Grace for the Journey. The name of the workshop is Self-Harm, a Biblical Perspective, and my name is Mark Shaw. You'll learn about me uh, at some of the uh, plenaries and that, so I'm, I'm probably not going to do a lot about who I am, but I think it's significant to tell you that I work right now as the Executive Director and a Pastor at Faith Church, Executive Director of Vision of Hope, which is a women's residential ministry. uh, Long term, most of our graduates are there about 18 months, and we deal with addictions. We deal with self-harm. That's a big part of what we do. Uh, We also address eating disorders and unplanned pregnancy. We have a an adoption ministry component to what we do so those are the four issues unplanned pregnancy self-harm which is this topic addictions which is a conference topic and eating disorders which kind of fall into that as well <clears throat> in my opinion so that's a little bit about me i will refer to that So I think it's important for you to know that because i'll talk about vision of hope which again will be different than most of you i mean anybody in here work in a residential facility with people there's one two yep maybe three but her hand went down really fast she didn't want to be called on um and i don't blame you because i would do that um but uh yeah so there aren't many so some of you will be counseling out of a local church working with people i tried to put some vision of hope homework in here and some practical things that you can use in your church that you know aren't dependent on you being in a residential facility, <clears throat> it's interesting. We get end of shift reports. Of course, in the Eastern time zone right now, they're three hours ahead. So I'm reading some of the end of shifts, and there's self harm issues going on right now in our center, and it's it's difficult. You know, we watch our girls 24/7. Ex- well, I say 24/7, not at night when they go to bed. You know, obviously they they have some free time in their rooms, and they're they're alone, but, um, any waking hour, we watch them. We, you know, but there are different ways to self-harm. So anyway, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you that your word speaks to this issue. Thank you that your word speaks to our hearts, help us to grow, help us to change into Christ likeness and to give hope to those who are feeling hopeless (laughs) And thank you for this conference that equips us and uh, and enables us to do the ministry you've called us to do. Thank you for each one here in their ministry and their churches. I pray for fruitfulness in days ahead. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, self-harm, a biblical perspective. Mark Shaw again. Uh, I think we'll just start with a quote here that might surprise you from princess diana you have so much pain inside yourself you try and hurt yourself on the outside because you need help so in 1995 she gave this quote to the bbc she was a self-injurer cutter and she harmed herself <laughs> of course died uh, not long after that uh, hebrews 7:26 to 27 says for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest <coughs> holy innocent unstained Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, he has no need, like those high priests, they had need, but he has no need, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And for me, that's a central issue. And when you're dealing with self-injurer is they're trying to atone for their own sins. They're trying to make it right. <clears throat> but we have a high priest. He didn't need to offer daily sacrifices for his own sins because he was sinning less. Uh, but he offered himself up once for all of us. What's a you know, great thought? And I'm not going to charge you any extra for this thought. Mm-hmm. This is free. But think about this. You will never see God's wrath poured out on you. Isn't that great? It's poured out on Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, I mean, if that doesn't help you sleep tonight, I mean, I don't know what will. You know, I'll never see God's wrath poured out on me. Now, I'll see it poured out on others, but not on me. So, what a what a blessed truth that is. So, what is self-injury? Self-injury, I got a little trigger happy. Self-injury is injuring yourself on purpose. And you have notes, right? Injuring yourself on purpose by making scratches or cuts on your body with a sharp object. Enough to break the skin and to make it bleed. Self-harm, self-mutilation, self-abuse. It's a hard topic to talk about. Again, like uh, Ed talked about last night, the shame of this, you know, it's not like you tell people, oh, I do this, because there's a lot of shame associated with self-injury. And there are lots of forms of self-injury, burning their fingers, cutting, uh, scratching their arms, pushing sharp objects under their fingernails. We have girls that wear rubber bands and just snap, you know, snap it on their arms um, or I have a girl who she'll dig her toes in and counseling and dig them into the, the ground as she's sitting there, you know, and I have interns that sit in with me, so they're observing that. So we we call her on that. We, we don't want them to do that. We want to take those things away, but we also need to give them a replacement a behavior, something they can do, and then help renew the mind so that they end up not wanting to go there but plucking your eyelashes and eyebrows sorry ladies that's one um, slamming shoulders into a wall or you're punching a wall uh, picking scabs until they bleed guys uh, will do some of this as well you know i've had some younger guys middle school high school that have struggled with this uh... so you know it's not just girls but uh, I think guys hide it sometimes a little bit better than the girls. Um, and they do it in different ways that even society would say would be okay. Uh, and then cutters, I mean, why do they, they self injure? You know, why do they cut? Well, normally they say they're overwhelmed. I mean, that's the word you hear the most. They're overwhelmed, not shame, but they're overwhelmed by emotion. So they're feeling emotions that are a mixture of hurt, depression, anger, rejection, grief, shame, despair, you know, a combination of those. They just really feel powerfully uh, overwhelmed by that. And so they're, they're looking for a way to express it and to, to deal with it. Uh, I wrote a little booklet on it ten years ago. Hard to believe it's ten years ago. It just seems like yesterday, David. I mean, ten years ago? Am I that old? But um, it was self-injurers and cutters, and I wrote about it, and you know, probably should be updated. But um, what's interesting is the Bible's spoken to this issue for years and years and years. So in some sense, there's no update. The Bible doesn't need updating. So uh, this is not a new thing. In fact, the pagans used to do this at death. When they would grieve, they would self-injure, self-harm. That was part of their ritual. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, Usually the intent is not to commit suicide. Now, could they die? Yes. Had a young lady who cut on her leg too deeply, uh, hit uh, an artery... And you know, nearly died. Um, th- those kinds of things can happen. So they can. she was it really scared her and it was a good thing and it ended up being the thing that brought it out in the open. You know, went to the hospital and, uh, and just confessed everything. So it was really great that that happened. but they're usually not intending to commit suicide. And uh, this is just one way they alleviate emotional pain. I mean, they can do this or they can do eating disorder control behavior, you know, restricting food. There's an anorexic or a bulimic, bulimic who eats and then, you know, vomits later in the bathroom. There's ways to, to deal with that. Um, or drugs and alcohols, I'll talk about in the, in the next, uh, in the plenary. The very, at 1.30, I'll talk a little bit about that, uh, transference of emotional pain to actual pain, and that's what they say is, I don't understand this overwhelming, these, these emotions, this feeling, so I want to transfer that to something that makes sense, and physical pain makes sense, and I can control that, and they, they'll say, I see some relief when I see the blood, and when I see the blood, I feel relief. <clears throat> so they're usually looking to escape some type of pain. And with cutting, you know, it's, it seems strange to us, who, those of us who don't like pain, but the pain is temporary. What comes later are the natural mechanisms in our bodies that provide pain relief. So the the heroin if you will the the drug relief in our bodies is is what comes and that's what they're looking forward to so they're willing to deal with a little bit of pain to get to the uh, the pleasure that's coming from the from their own bodies and of course the more you do this you're training your body to respond this way and it, it just it happens a little quicker etc etc so um, it's it's a difficult thing to deal with because it's the one place they found comfort that quote unquote works for them. And then how do self-injurers see themselves ignored, unappreciated by loved ones? They're self-centered, you know, and I say that in, in a loving way. <laughs> but I mean they're 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 thinking about themselves so they feel Uh, like if you're ignoring them you know and you're really thinking about yourself all the time why in the world would somebody ignore me you know I think about me all the time is how they're kind of thinking Um, but ignored unappreciated sometimes they feel overpowered by other people again overwhelmed degraded by other people especially teenagers who bully them or put them down you know teenagers will just find anything to, that's different about a kid to to make fun of you know you wear glasses you know and they call you what four eyes and you uh, you know you're skinny you're fat you're this you're that whatever it is they're just looking for something uh, to make fun of and some kids don't know how to handle that of course if their home life is a wreck and they don't have a dad or a mom to help them interpret life biblically you know they don't know what to do with that so they just stuff it in stuff the pain and then they end up doing something like self-harm to to deal with it Uh, so very sad i mean in in many ways they are sufferers in many ways they're sinners and in some ways if they're christian they're saints right saint sufferer and sinner i appreciate dr mike Imlet's book on that and i'll mention that in a minute. <clears throat> but, on the saint sufferer sinner, if you're not familiar with that, he has a book called i think it's called Cross Talk. and is that right yeah there's my scholar right there Crosstalk Dr. Mike Emlet and uh, a great book to read just to think about when i 'm counseling people am i 'm talking to a saint, a sufferer, and a sinner because you want to handle those differently, you know you don't want to treat a sufferer like a sinner and a sinner like a saint. and a sa- You know, you don't want to get all those mixed up. So you want to think about, you know, that and, and especially be compassionate for those who are suffering. And they strongly dislike themselves. That's what they'll tell you. They don't like the way God made them. And they want to be different. That's why superhero movies are so popular, right? I want to be different. I want to be I want to be someone who is powerful, who, who's beautiful, who's you know, handsome, strong. Whatever it is that they perceive they're lacking, they, they're not content with that. They want to be different. So they, don't, they would say they don't like themselves. You'll hear that a lot when you meet with them. And if they've been abused and feel dirty and ashamed from how people have treated them, then certainly uh, that's going to be a reality. And so while we may misunderstand them, God never misunderstands a cutter. Psalm 139 reminds us that He formed them. He knows them, even in the womb. And one thing we say at Vision of Hope is, God never wastes your pain. And I think abuse, though it's wicked and horrible and never okay, abuse can end up being a redemptively good thing because it can bring people who are strong. Most of my girls in the program are really strong girls, survivors, and powerful people in a lot of ways. They always want to tell me what to do anyway. And, um, and they, uh, the abuse in their lives have brought them to a place of weakness, and, and you know God doesn't waste that. He wants them to cry out to Him for help. So in some ways, it can be very, very good for them uh, to see that they need a savior and that they have a very good savior indeed. So uh, God never misunderstands them. Now let's talk about self-injury and addiction. Self-injury and addiction. The thinking of a cutter is similar to thinking of someone who's struggling with drugs, it's a desire to remove unpleasant conditions from life, escape from pain to pleasure, by experiencing pain, then pleasure, right? Psalm 55, 6, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. That, that tends to be a heart attitude, that I wanna get away, I wanna fly away, I wanna be left alone. You know, an interesting proverb, Proverbs 18:1, talks about isolation. And whoever isolates himself, the proverb says, they're seeking their own desire. So community is big with a self-harmer, self-injurer. You want to get them in a place of community. So a Vision of Hope, we've got instant community, right? 26 beds for 26 residents. We have 12 interns who also live there. So that's 36 people right there. They have an instant community, an instant group, and, and a lot of people similar struggles so they can identify with one another. Uh, but community is big to help people who are tending to do like Proverbs 18.1 and isolate themselves. They seek their own desire. And that proverb goes on to say, the person isolates himself, breaks out against all sound judgment. What do you hear At these shootings and mass murders and you know terrorism acts at least in our country what do you hear about the guy who does that well he was quiet he kind of kept to himself you know he was a nice neighbor of course he didn't bother us any that's kind of what they're saying but they're commenting on somebody who chooses to be in isolation away from community And that's a warning for you and I, not to isolate ourselves. And the self-harmer will hide this. That's how you know that they know it's wrong. Because why not just self-harm? If it's okay, just just do it right here in front of everybody. You know, But they go and they hide it. We rarely have a girl who self-harms in front of the other girls. Now, they will in the snapping the rubber bands or digging the toes in, in those ways. But they won't in front of the other girls. They go and they hide that. So that's how you know why would you hide it if it were okay, right? So you want to help them to see this. You want to bring it to the light. The action's often planned. And what the world would tell you is it's impulsive or compulsive behavior. OCD kind of behavior but usually it's planned. Now it could be that there's an emotional response they feel overwhelmed and they just go and they've learned to do this so well they know right where the knife is we have all the knives counted at Vision of Hope after every meal the girls do meal prep we count the knives we have to have all eight knives back in the drawer you know we do that every meal, we, we have things like that. We know how many pairs of scissors we have, you know, the, the, those objects, but you can cut yourself a little paper clip. I mean, you can cut yourself in a number of ways. So that's not the big deal, but the, the things that they know really work are the things we have to really uh, take inventory of. But it's not impulsive. It's, it's not something, it looks that way because it's habitually learned habits can be in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. So we learn to respond to life in our thoughts habitually. And these girls have done that. And then we learn to talk habitually, right? I had one of my children used to say the word stupid. Now, he heard the word, I'm sure, from his mother. (laughs) Since she's not in California. Oh, this is being recorded. Sorry, Mary. (laughs) So okay, alright, he heard it from me. You, you you figured that out, I'm sure. And this was before I was a pastor, you know. So so I said the word stupid a lot. And and you know, it's kind of funny and cute when little kids do stuff that are kind of adult, but that wasn't ever that funny, you know, or cute. And so he would say it, and I kept saying, don't say that, don't say that, you know. Like put that off, put that off. And then I realized, well, dummy, biblical counseling is to put off and put on, and, and you got to renew the mind. But I had to teach him. I said, instead of stupid, I want you to say silly. Now, this isn't the most sanctified example ever. But my child, I never heard the word stupid out of his mouth again. But I heard him one day, you know, and you just think they don't, they're not really listening to you. And he doesn't listen to me much today anyway. But he certainly didn't feel like he did back then. But uh, I remember one day he went, well, that's Silly, You know, and you can see the light bulb and I never heard him say stupid ever again. Still haven't to this day. He learned a new way of responding. Now that's very behavioral. There's not really a lot of heart change there, but that's the, the power of what we're talking about with new behaviors, which is why vision of hope we were taking away what they used to do, but we're trying to give them replacement things to do to pray, to spend time in scripture, to talk to community, to not hide and keep things that are shameful in the dark, but to bring them to light. And uh, it just takes time. You know, again, our typical graduates, 18 months there, we had a girl that was there three years who graduated. So, you know, it just takes time. I mean, a lot of these girls have been abused and mistreated. Their view of God is that he is wicked and so we're one of the joys we get is we get to teach them about who god really is and to teach them that he can be trusted that he is good Uh, and it just it's day by day moment by moment we also have orange slips so if a girl's really struggling and saying man i want to cut right now so bad she can fill out a little orange piece of paper and write down you know what her thoughts are, what her counselor's told her, what her struggle is, turn in the orange slip to the intern. The intern then tries to deal with it within five or ten minutes and pray with her, share scripture, you know, get her mind on truth because she's believing some kind of lie. Something's going on here. So we want to tear that down, but we want to replace it with truth. And then if that doesn't work, we always have an on-duty staff person that she can meet with and get counsel and, and work through that crisis moment with an orange slip, and so we we do crisis counseling in that way. They have to request it. So you know, in one sense, I don't like to see tons of orange slips, but in another sense, it's fine because at least they're being honest. They're bringing it out, you know, and they're letting us know. And being a 24-hour facility, that's a, a real benefit of from what we of what we do. Uh, So their thinking has to change. What are the lies that they're believing? Then also, the actions of a cutter are similar to that of a drug addict. There are many forms of deception. We call it lying rather than manipulating. There are some dirty words at Vision of Hope that I don't allow them to say. And one of them is manipulation because that's a dirty word. The real word is uh, deceit, lying. That's what the Bible talks about. We've changed lying and deceit into manipulation. And and manipulation's okay. That's not as bad a dirty word as panic attack. Um, That, to me, is a really dirty word that I don't allow vision of hope. Because it's as though, you know, I'm having a panic attack. This is coming on me, this disease. I can't help it. And it's like, no, you are thinking unbiblical thoughts that are producing fear And the fear is causing you to breathe in that way. And therefore, then it becomes a panic attack. But your thinking got you there. But it happens so quickly, they just think, I'm suffering a panic attack. You know, this isn't my fault. And I want to help them to see the the thought process and how they're getting to where they are. So lying is better than using even the word manipulating. uh, And they hide it from loved ones. So they're using lots of forms of deception and then there's the euphoric effect after their pain you know there's a medical explanation here and it's it's in this little booklet I'm not going to go through it. And I probably don't even remember. This was 10 years ago that I wrote this. Um, I did read through it last night and this morning, but I don't think I could explain it very well. But basically, the sensory pain, it lets your brain know. And your brain sends out uh, these chemicals that help relieve the pain. So there's this euphoric effect, this feeling of relief. Uh, with adrenaline, I mean adrenaline's released. You know, so there's an excitement, anticipation, and then there's relief. So that's the the drug addiction parallel. The thinking that self injures loved ones is similar to thinking of drug addicts loved ones. So a lot of times, you, if you're if you've ever worked with somebody struggling with addiction, you can probably work with someone who's struggled with self harm. Family members tend to be, you know, enabling in some ways. Denying it, my child would never do that, you know. Uh, and there are issues there to deal with. This isn't a family session. I have one of those later on today, if I live that long through the day. Um, <laughs> Vegas says I I won't, but uh, we'll see. Uh, two diagnostic descriptions of self injury from the world. The worldly view is just that it's mental illness. It's M.I. It's a it's not a diagnosis in the DSM-5, but it's in the conditions for further study, and that's in quotes. That's, that's where they put it, in the back of the DSM-5. So it's considered NSSI, and you can write that down, or maybe that's in the notes, non-suicidal self-injury, NSSI. And it's often associated with borderline personality disorder, BPD, and or major depressive disorder. That tends to be what they are diagnosed with. So when you're meeting with them, they're gonna have these labels. And people don't wanna let go of their labels. I don't know if you know that. So I don't even try anymore. I mean, they love their labels because their label gives them sympathy from other people. Well, I'm BPD. You should feel sorry for me. That rhymes, Dave. Um, I like to have fun. I mean, I work in a really intense place, so I like to have a little fun. I'm the, they always, when I come back, they're like, we missed you. You keep things light and fun around here. And I, I do. I mean, I walk down the hall, and I hear girls, you know, I hear emotion, and I think, are they crying or laughing in there? So I kind of peek my head in. If they're crying, I keep walking. And... <laughs> If they're laughing, I might say something or, you know, join in. But I just try to keep walking because, you know, I don't know, you hand them tissues and that's wrong. I mean, you know, I just do everything wrong with a capital R. So I really, you know, that's, uh, that's me. Anyway, so you can pray for me. Fifty ladies when we're full and one guy. So pray for them. they got to deal with me. Uh, but it's a blessing. I mean, they—they they really do. They always—they're always bringing me food. It's why I can't lose weight. They're always bringing me food, taking care of me. I mean, girls are so nurturing. It's—it's it's much better than working a men's facility. Men, so selfish. They don't help you or do anything for you. The girls are always, you know, bringing stuff and just—I mean, it's really, really special. So, <laughs> so that part's good. Good and bad. Not good if you want to lose weight, but good. And then the word of God diagnosis—a little different. A little different and this is where i mentioned the you see in your notes a saint sufferer and sinner that's dr mike Imlet Crosstalk is his book i have a book called Crosstalking ing about it's a, a devotional but his book deals with this idea of saints you want to treat them as saints they're they're grieving like pagans do there's real Uh, There's real suffering going on in their heart. So you want to help them as sufferers and if they're believers, as saints. Because believers can still do the wrong thing, right? Believers can still sin. Believers can still self-harm. But sufferers, this deep sadness, uh, this shame that they don't know how to deal with. They're trying to atone for it in their own blood. And they're having unbiblical responses to that. Uh, Leviticus 21.5 reads, they shall not make bald patches on their head nor shave off the edges of their beards nor make any cuts on their body. And that was usually done in the form of a pagan ritual, a, a, um, a funeral type situation. But then as a sufferer, which is the hard part, is dealing with someone's sinfulness. I'm sorry, I think I said suffer, but as a sinner, The wrong response to circumstances and feelings. The difficult part is when you have someone who has suffered so much at the hands of so many. And yet you're having to deal with their sinful response. Right. You want to do do that with gentleness. You want to do that with extreme caution and care because you don't want to drive them into uh, further wrong choices, but at the same time you have to deal with it Because that's really where hope is found And and I always like counseling in teams of two I think you have truth-tellers in the world and grace givers So I wrote a little book strength in numbers on counseling in teams of two I love that model of counseling. I love counseling with the ladies at vision of hope I make them talk um, some of the counselors say, you know, you just need to be quiet while I counsel, but I, I want participation because I learn from them. You know, as hard as I try, I don't think like a female. I don't know if you know that about me, but um, I didn't have sisters growing up. I had one brother and, you know, I like sports and I just didn't really care about girls really. So um, until I found my wife. And so, I mean, I cared, but didn't care care, you know, and um, I don't know if that makes sense. Probably that my wife could explain it to you better. Girls are better with words, by the way, too. Um, but the uh, the mission in life for me now is uh, I want to help these sinners, who have been sufferers and are saints, to know the gospel and to know the one true God. You know, their view of God is that He's hideous, that He can't be trusted. And for you, if I told you go down here to, uh, I forget what I saw driving in—maybe a Walmart. Is there a Walmart here? Costco. Yeah. You go down to Costco and you, and I say, take your purse ladies or your wallet with your most treasured belongings. Give it to the first person you see that it looks hideous to you. You know, give them your purse and your wallet and say, I'll be back in four hours to get this. Would you do that? You know, hopefully you would not do that. Right. You'd say, I'm not going to obey that command. Because your view of that person is they're not trustworthy. You don't know them. And from what you can tell, they don't look too trustworthy to you. So why would you give your purse or wallet to them? Well, it's the same thing when we're counseling. The girls come in a vision of hope. They they don't know God. And they think God looks hideous. They think he looks untrustworthy. So they're not going to give their lives to Jesus on day one, you know. The joy we have is to disciple them, to teach them who God is, to open the word to them and pray the Holy Spirit would open their eyes and enlighten their hearts. So they begin to see the one true God for all his splendor and glory and his love for them. And they begin to trust him not only with their purses, but with their own lives. That's that's what we're dealing with in this. So you want to be patient, patient with them all. And God offers hope. God offers hope to the cutter. You see that hope in confession and repentance. I love Proverbs 28, 13, one of my favorite verses. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. That's the shame. That ties in with the shame, right? You conceal it, you hide it, you you, you push it under. You're not going to prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain... Mercy. They won't get what they deserve. What a, what a beautiful picture, but it, it involves the lips, confession, and it involves f- actions, forsaking. Sometimes we just take the lips and what they're saying as repentance. But that's the first half of this verse is confession. The second half is the action. So we have a lot of girls who say the right things. But don't do the right things. We're helping them, training them to not only say it, but to do it. And Ed just talked about that in the plenary. And then a new identity and a new heart. What a glorious truth in Christianity, right? I mean, other religions don't really give you a new identity. But if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. She's a new creation. They don't have to identify themselves as a, I'm a self injurer. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. I'm a, that's your old person. You're a new creation in Christ. So that's no longer identity. Is that part of your story and your past? Yes. Are we pretending it's not there? No, it is there. But I'm a new creation. And then the blood shed once and for all by the Savior Jesus. And we started with the first, those first two verses they are listed in Hebrews 7. But I love 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now here's a problem. They don't feel cleansed. You know they feel these emotions they're still dealing with that's one of the end of shift reports i read today still dealing with some of the abuse of the past and afraid to have the lights out has two roommates in the same room and this young lady's afraid to have the lights up so she wants a night light well, the other two can't sleep. So, you know, we've got glorious um, conflict resolution opportunities here. Um, so what do you do? She's dealing with the abuse. She's brand new in the program compared to the other girls who've been there a while. You know, how do you work this thing out? Those are the, some of the joys that we have. And thankfully, I'm in California. So um, <laughs> they can deal with that. Uh, but <laughs> it sounds so compassionate i um, become a cynic. Uh, but no, it's, it is, it is, you know, in some ways you want to teach those roommates to be loving of this young lady, right? But you also have to help the young lady to see that, you know, if people can't sleep, they're not going to be functioning well. And then we're going to have greater problems. So it's it's one of those things. That it's learning how to trust God for her. So... That's what the staff team is working on. Now, biblical hope for self-injurers. Well, we have counsel that we can offer by beginning with hope for the hurting. I remember counseling a young guy, and he read the booklet. This was probably about 9 or 10 years ago in Birmingham, Alabama. And he said, I had no idea this problem existed thousands of years ago. He said, I thought this was just a new thing. So what it helped him to see is God. You know, he had no concept of really of God. He wasn't a believer, but he he recognized God has dealt with this. God knows about this. God knows you and he knows your heart. Ecclesiastes 1, 9 and 10, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. So nothing new under the sun. And then I opened up other scriptures like Leviticus nineteen twenty-eight: You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourself. I am the Lord. And I already read Leviticus 21, 5. But this is a problem God's addressed with his children for thousands of years. And God treasures his people and wants the best for them. So what you have to keep in front of your counselee, in front of their eyes. God wants his best for you. And your comfort, your control, your coveting this cutting behavior is not God's best for you. You are the sons of the Lord your God. This is Deuteronomy 14. 1 and 2. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves. So this is for believers, right? If we apply it to today. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. So we are called to be set apart. To respond differently to life's suffering. To me, this is what separates the men from the boys, and the women from the girls. In Christianity, a mature believer is someone who understands how to handle suffering. And isn't trying to pray themselves out of it. I, I said a lot of this last night in a workshop, but I think sometimes a lot of us wake up in the morning, and our prayer is, "God, today we don't pray these words, but God, today wrap me in bubble wrap, <laughs> and may may I not even get pricked or hurt in any way. May I not get a thorn in my finger, or you know any you know we pray protection, and 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 we should ask for those things. I'm not saying that, but we ought to understand too. Today may be the phone call where the doctor says. Your blood test is in and we need to do more tests. We think you might have cancer. How do we respond to that? And we're one phone call away, all of us are. I, mean, I drink Diet Mountain Dew, so I'm probably a little closer than some of you, but um, I love that stuff. <laughs> we'll bleep that out of the video, I hope. I sure hope I don't do this in the plenary. I mean, we're friends in here, but the plenary. Just get it all out. Oh, man, get it all out now. Are you ready? The girls are glad I'm here in California. Yeah, you go on. You go on. We'll be all right. You cause a lot of trouble around here, big guy. Uh, So we want to offer hope, and I I think you can do that with even some of these verses. And so uh, I want them to know, I mean, Look at that verse, Deuteronomy 14, 1 and 2. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. You're a treasure to him. And you're to stand out and act differently and react differently to the stressors of life. Very tough to do, isn't it? Especially on Twitter and Facebook. Very tough. But then we can build a loving relationship. And I think the key for addictions is we've got to build in relationships. We can't allow them to isolate And they're not under condemnation if they're believers, but they're called to reconciliation. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So they can have new relationship with God. They can have new relationships with other people. They're no longer hiding these dirty little secrets, but they're living up front and um, transparent to other people. They can be open, confess, No shame. I mean, you think about it. Why in the church world are we afraid, if we're believers, to go in and say, I'm struggling with something? I mean, if we're forgiven of that, why why can't we go into the church house and say, I'm struggling right now. I I need prayer. I need help. My thoughts are are really wrong. Um, And, you know, it's one thing to have the thought. It's another thing to let the thought rest and build a nest, right, and stay right there. We want to um, confess those things, get them out in the open, there's no shame, and then deal with it in a biblical way, and no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then we can ask questions, and there are data gathering questions like, you know, when did the cutting start, how do you injure in public and in private, but then there's heart-probing questions, too. Heart-probing, like, what is plaguing you? What grieves you? What does self-injury provide for you? What lies are you believing? What is true? And those are listed in your notes. And David Pallison has a great x-ray questions. We use them all the time as homework. But drawing out the whys and wherefores of human behavior. what's going on in my heart? And I'm going to do a plenary tonight that I just think is so helpful for addictions on the whys and wherefores. I think there are three key heart issues that you want to address. And all three can be, they could be separated, but they could also be combined all in one. And we'll look at that tonight. But the whys and wherefores, you want to get to that because In Isaiah 44, we don't have time to go there, but 9 through 20, it talks about the tools that the idolater uses to make his idol, to carve out his idol. So the tool is self-harm, cocaine, heroin. You know, those are the tools that they're using to carve out their idol is what they really want. The whys and the the desires, what we'll talk about tonight at 7. that is what's driving it. But the tools are the cocaine and self-harm. So what we're talking about right now are tools. I'm going to click that a little fast. All right. And you want to, that's in Isaiah 44, 9 through 20. Just read that and look at the, the different tools. So we have a homework assignment where it has the heart issues, but then it has all the tools the girls used out on the side jocelyn wallace came up with this very very good work she does if you have a chance to listen to some of her cds and workshops jocelyn wallace she's the one that uh, really started vision of hope and did a great thing i've been there four years she was there the first six years we're in 10th year of ministry and um it, she just does great work but the the tools are all these things and so they write those out and they talk about what they're really desiring and the x-ray questions help us do that as well. Then counseling them, we want to teach them the truth. Teach the truth using biblical passages. You know, not be afraid of it. It's always hard with the tattoo scripture, right? I'm sitting there with tattoos, and you've got a tattoo scripture there. Or it's, it's Old Testament, so we can get away with that, right? <laughs> if you're a people pleaser. No. No, but you, you talk about it, and you know, and, you, and you, you talk about living in a different way. I have a, I'm not going to say this at the plenary, so you can, you know, um, well, I might say this, I'll float this out, we'll see how it goes, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Switchfoot. I don't know, have you ever heard, has anybody ever heard of Switchfoot? Yeah? Okay, a few of you. They're local right here. So I went to a concert Wednesday night. We're going to a concert tomorrow, Switchwood. And uh, my daughter's here with me. It's her fault. Okay, it's me. I'm the fan. But, um, but I... They have they have songs. They're involved with a ministry called To Write Love on Your Arms, or Love on Our Arms, and, and it's about self-harm and writing love, not tattoos. But he has a lyric in one of his songs. The only tattoos I have are scars, and my name is written in your heart, or your name is written in my heart. That's how it goes. Um, good thing I'm not singing it. And he, um, I mean, I just really appreciate those guys because they talk about pain and suffering, and that's their album is... Where the light shines through is in the dark places, you know. So these are opportunities we have that we don't want to miss. You know, they're dark places, but that's where the light shines through. And I enjoy having those opportunities. This um, nightlight situation at Vision of Hope right now is an opportunity, you know, to teach and to help the roommates to help her to deal with a very dark thing that that's coming up in her mind at night. She has roommates. She doesn't know these girls in the room. You know, who's to say they might not try to abuse her. Yeah, you know, how does she know? She's got two people that are basically strangers and they have problems too. And I'm sure she can tell, uh, at least with one of them that I know. So I mean, I know she can tell. So there's some real stuff going on here, but it's an opportunity. To bring light to a dark place. So we want to teach the truth, not run away from the truth, not apologize for it, but teach the truth and show them who the real God is. He allows suffering, but he never wastes our pain. He uses it redemptively to make us more like Jesus Christ for his own glory. And then we want to give practical homework. Give practical homework. Well, yeah, give practical homework. There we go. I want to make sure that we, we cover this, so I want to skip a little bit, but you have it in your notes there, but give practical homework is important. I I'm want to put off self-harm, replace it with, to me, a relationship, a TCF, what I call trusted Christian friend, and I chose that little label. It's in some of the books I write, I've written, but... I chose that because I didn't want them to think it had to be a pastor, it had to be a biblical counselor who's licensed and certified by the state of California. You know, I want to make a trusted Christian friend, someone they can go to to open up and share things with. In some cases, that could be a spouse, but generally it's someone who's not married to them, someone they can go to who's more mature, you know, Galatians 6.1, and can restore them uh, back to usefulness for Christ. <clears throat> and they want we want to get them to memorize scripture. We want to get them to be honest, to pray out loud. And to pray the scriptures. I want them to hear it. Some of our girls, we have walk around because when you're walking and you're praying out loud and you're reading something, you're engaging almost all of your senses. So the circuits in your brain are all locked up. So there's no room for anything else to come in. And so they'll go out. We have a pond in the back and they'll walk the pond. So they're walking, they're reading, they're talking, they're hearing their, their own voice. And all the circuits are engaged. And Dr. Hodges, who you'll hear, uh, he's our medical director. So what a blessing, a vision of hope to have that guy uh, on our team, you know. Uh, but that, that's um, some stuff Charlie's taught us and it's just great. So you want them to engage, lock up these circuits so that nothing else can come in. And then I believe in singing praise songs out loud or switch foot, either either one. Um, but there is a difference in those songs. <coughs> and I do like them loud. But um, all right. <laughs> mind renewal, renewing the mind, changing the attitude. You know, the put off, put on gets emphasized a lot. But verse four Chapter four in Ephesians verse 23 is the renewing the spirit of the mind, the attitude of the mind. We've got to renew that. They've got to the way I say it is they've got to hate what they once loved. They gotta love what they once hated. Or they might say, well, I never hated it. Well, you you did, but you just, you know, are in denial. But they gotta love what they once hated, they gotta hate what they once loved. So for me, I have some things in my life that I now hate because I love Jesus more. <clears throat> and you just make choices. You make sacrifices in that way. And it's hard. It's it's difficult. But mind renewal is so important. So... I don't want them to be self-reliant, that's what the Cutter's doing, relying on themselves to atone for their sin by their own blood. And I want to address a victim mentality. Many times they feel like victims, I've already described that with the panic attack thing, but they feel like they are victims. And then, you know, if I'm a victim, and Maggie, if it's your fault and I'm a victim of you, then you're the one that needs Jesus, not me. Mm So if I think like a victim and I'm truly not a victim, I mean, there are true victims, right? But with somebody who's really, they're responsible, but they think that it's Maggie's fault. Maggie's one of the sweetest people I know. And they think it's her fault. Then they think, well, she needs Jesus because I'm the victim here. But you got to help them to see they're the problem, right? Not Maggie. I'm the problem. So the victim mentality is something an addiction counseling you've got to address. And they'll use words, Ed referred to it and I said it last night, the uh, Aaron and the golden calf. You know, we threw in the gold and just out came this calf. Like, you know, it just happened. That's the victim mentality when people are truly responsible and they need to be held to that. So blame shifting ties in with that, and then teaching them where to turn when their powerful emotions of disappointment, anger, or sadness arise. Where do they go? We have girls that have verse cards; they have cards on their in their pockets, they have uh, they have tools and things that they can go to and use to change their thinking. You know, the thing is, if I said right now, close your eyes and think about a loved one who died recently, I mean, we could all be crying within five or 10 minutes. If we close our eyes, we start thinking about that, you know, and I walk you through something, an exercise like that, we could all be in tears because that's what we're dwelling on. That's what we're thinking on. So we have to help our girls not to follow their hearts and be led by their hearts, but to learn to direct their hearts. You guard your heart, but you direct it in the way it should go. Don't let them follow their hearts. And then you see in your notes the VOH consequence homework. I really love this. Please read and print out. This is what we're asking them to do, your counselee. Please read and print out. Read the printout entitled, Which God is in Your Sufferings? It's a Johnny Erickson Tata reaction to her suffering. Powerful, right? Then she just recently I think had breast cancer. So here she is, a paraplegic and then in the last couple years has battled breast cancer. Uh, What did she do to Did she try to get out of her suffering? Was she willing to allow God to help her, etc., etc.? So that's a really good place for people to see. See, we all think we've got it bad. But there's always somebody who's got it worse. So get them into a nursing home. Get them into a place where they can see people who are truly suffering. And get them to serve. Get them out of themselves. And then Romans 8, uh, several passages there. And just how to use those. What you need is to not sin, but what do you need to do in replace of it. And then on the next page, on I think it's page four of your notes. Please read 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, which talks about sharing comfort with those who suffer. Learning to do that. So here's what I believe. Man, I'm going to say this in the next, maybe I shouldn't say it now. All right. Well, here's what I believe. We need addicts in the church because they've learned to sacrifice and live idolatrous lives for the wrong things. When they get saved, they can sacrifice for Jesus. They need to be addicted to Jesus and they'll do that. They'll serve. They'll they'll go to uh, Saudi, you know, <laughs> Saudi Arabia and places like that, that I might not want to go to. You know, they'll go, they'll serve, they'll do those things. We want to encourage living like Paul did when Paul was saved, right? Apostle Paul didn't change. He just quit killing, I mean, he quit killing Christians, but his zealous passion for God was now directed at the right target because he was born again. He he came to know the one true God. And so there's just some homework that we use at Vision of Hope. (laughs) And then a relapse book that I wrote deals with the victim mentality. So I mentioned that here that's a, a big thing for me. I just want to make sure people are responsible for what they need to be responsible for. I understand there are true victims and suffering, but that's the book I use for that. Then the final section in the last couple of minutes: hope for the non-Christian and Christian. You want to know who you're counseling. But you're really you're seizing an opportunity to present the gospel to non-believers for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3:23. And the gospel is so good. Such a good message. It's our Because of our sins, we're alienated from God. We're headed to eternal destruction. We cannot save ourselves. We do require a Savior. And the blood of Jesus was shed. So you have to teach the atonement to them because they don't understand the blood of Jesus was shed once and for all for the forgiveness of sins. All sins, yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus suffered and died for all sinners who trust in him. And and, uh, the Lord calls for sinners to repent. Again, there's Proverbs 28, 13. And so you have a lot of unbelievers in this. That Jesus alone saves us by grace through faith in him. It's not a result of our own doing or of our own good works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But God is faithful to forgive and cleanse us from all our sins. He's giving us a new heart, new desires, new motivations. That's that renewing the mind part. You know, we're not just mechanical robots putting off and putting on, but God creates in us a desire for new things. We have a few testimonies on our Vision of Hope website of girls that have been transformed by God's grace And they're wonderful to watch. And then a lot of those girls are serving now. One is in the Dominican Republic. Uh, It's just neat to to see that. So that's for unbelievers. But guess what for believers? We seize an opportunity to remind them of the gospel, right? Because they forget. And in your sanctification, you can live as though you're an unbeliever because you're trusting in yourself. You're trying to work and do it all yourself. So I have some girls i got to ratchet down because they're trying to control everything, do everything, fix everything, and they're making themselves crazy because they're not learning to rest and to trust in Christ to help them to do that. Now we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but that, but it's God who works in us both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So there's that tension, that balance there. So trusting God even when they're a believer... There's Proverbs three five through eight. I like to actually read that and then go backwards and work backwards with healing to your flesh, because I have girls that say, you know, I want healing. I want you want that. We'll work backwards. If you want that, that's the goal. Then what do you need to do? You don't need to be wise in your own eyes. You need to fear the Lord. You got to turn away from evil. You can't pretend that evil's good. You can't entertain these lies that say, I can go back to this boy. I mean, our, our girls' main problem are, are boys. And not boys, but their heart toward boys. To fix them, to rescue them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <clears throat> and then you work backwards all the way uh, to trusting the Lord and not your own understanding. I mean, God teaches us to doubt ourselves. You know, if you're walking around trusting yourself, you're, you're missing the point of being a Christian. You need to live in community and doubt yourself and trust in God. And you need people to help you. trusted Christian friends. And then, uh, does a Christian need to punish himself for his sins? No, Jesus is the propitiation. I wanted to throw a big word in there for you so that you knew I knew one. Because um, I am from Alabama. No offense, Maggie, but you know. Um, We talk funny down there. I'm not down there now, so I don't have an accent, but I'm down there. It comes back. Uh, Only Jesus was qualified to satisfy the wrath of God. So even their attempts to shed their own blood, they're not qualified. They're sinful. So what you're doing is utterly ridiculous. It's not going to accomplish the goal. God's not pleased with that because you're not perfect. And they can see that our blood is insufficient. So we restore hope. Hope. By empowering the Christian with the truth that their maladaptive thoughts, their maladaptive words, their maladaptive behaviors can be replaced by God's grace, I already quoted Philippians 2:12 and 13. Work out your salvation, uh, for as God works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. And remember, Reen, that there is a new way to be human. That's a Switchfoot song. One of you caught that. New Way to Be Human. I really do like those guys. I think they're modern parable tellers. It's really neat. Because unbelievers will be sitting there singing, thinking songs about a boy and a girl, and they're talking about a relationship between the Creator God, but um, not all their songs are great. But 95% of them are. Um, <laughs> new way to be human, to live for Christ, bringing forth abundant life. So, not just to be saved and sit on the island by myself, but these girls have gifts, abilities that they can share with the body in a local church setting, and that's what we're we're after. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you saved us and you've given us eternal life. Help us to live in that way, knowing that we are princes and princesses, not in the uh, prideful way that that might appeal to us, but in a way that we know you love us and care for us and we can trust you. And Help us to be faithful as we work with those who self-injure, Help us to to point them to Christ and to His love and to share His love with them as saints, sufferers, and sinners. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Copyright 2017, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org. Thank you.